But this morning we're going to talk about God's divine messengers. And there's a... Um, a video I want you to see of a couple. First one is a missionary that we support who you won't really see because this is for his protection when he goes back onto the mission field. The other one is from Brad Pontius, our missions guy here that you know well. I want you to listen to their story about, well, God's divine messengers. As a National Unreached Mission Network in Indonesia, I often encourage American pastors to come to the field and see what God is doing in the mission field. One day I had lunch with this one American pastor and he told me his story about how he went to a village and when he entered one particular house, the man who owned the house shook his hand enthusiastically and the man told the pastor that I had a dream last night. And in that dream, I saw a man in shining white told me that tomorrow there will be a white man who is going to tell me something important and I have to listen to it. And so the man asked the pastor, so what are you going to tell me? And the pastor looked at the church planter and asked, what should I do? And the church planter asked, well, share the gospel. So on that day, the American pastor share the gospel to this man, and then the man asked his wife to join in, and they both received Jesus that day, and later that afternoon, they were both baptized. While Gail and I were serving in Jamaica in the late 80s with Youth for Christ, I found myself in a seriously life-threatening situation. An older lady showed up on a scene. She was very dark and wrinkly with a cataract on one eye and only a few teeth. I thought she was a crazy woman. When she patted my arm, I recoiled. I was really too shaken to even be nice to her. But then she said, I've heard what happened, and I took it to the throne. Don't trouble yourself. Everything will be fine. She got my attention for sure. How, how could she know what was going on, and who was she? From that moment, the events that followed turned dramatically in my favor. She even called on a six-foot-two chiseled bodybuilder type to walk me through an angry, aggressive mob. I've always wondered about that woman. She brought such hope, comfort, and protection to me when I was panicked and confused and feared for my life. I really hope to find her in heaven, and I won't be surprised if she has wings and a halo. When I heard Brad share that story, I, I asked him, I said, in all the time that you spent in Jamaica on the mission field there, I said, did you ever see that woman again? He said, no, never. There are a lot of things behind the scene, things that we don't see, things that we don't experience that leave us with questions and, and wonderings. At the turn of the 20th century, uh, most notable theologians had given up on the idea of angels, believing them to be something of pure fantasy or uh, relegated to the minds of those who were scientifically unenlightened. But just because we don't see something, just because we can't imagine something, doesn't mean it should be dismissed easily. I, to be honest with you folks, that puts the existence of God in pretty deep question right there, if that's what we do. And science has never limited itself to the things that it could see. For instance, by engaging research in the arena of the unseen, science discovered the reality of gravity, atoms, germs, bacteria, viruses, DNA, and, and so very much more. I have yet to see electricity, 
But I sure enjoy the benefits of it. And because of their belief in the unseen or the unknown, Christopher Columbus, Ferdinand Magellan, Sir Edmund Hillary, Marie Curie, Amelia Earhart, and scores of others embarked on great explorations of discovery. You know, the Bible mentions angels 350 times. That's a lot of times for something that doesn't really exist. Now, in the last 100 years, the pendulum has swung almost to the opposite extreme to the point that, well, there's a resurgence in the interest of angels. According to a Chrysler poll, 75% of Americans believe in angels and 65% of Americans have an angel trinket somewhere in their household. Dozens of movies, scores of TV reruns, and literally hundreds of novels about angels are available to watch or to read. And you can find angel knickknacks anywhere, from statues to stepping stones. I've even seen them in truck stops, of all places. We speak of our kids as little angels. We wonder if we have ever entertained an angel unaware. And we hope that we have a competent and alert guardian angel. So why a sermon on angels this morning? Well... First of all, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there on angels. <laughs> Metaphysician Doreen Virtue has written on angels that they serve people regardless of their faith or background. She writes this, angels will help you get a competent customer service representative when booking an airline reservation. They'll help you avoid lines at check-in, get you through airport security without being searched, and ensure that your baggage is the first baggage that comes off the carousel after the plane has landed. If she's right, I've been blackballed by the cherubim, I will tell you that. <laughs> now, such nonsense may sell books, but it is not accurate. There's not a shred of evidence that angels do anything like that. Secondly, since angels frequently interact with the biblical narrative, the subject is worthy of our study. We ought to know something about these of God's creation. So let me remind you regarding angels that we can be guilty of the same two extremes that I warned us about when we study Satan and demonology. We can simply dismiss angels and not believe at all, or we can become so utterly fascinated with them that that becomes the subject of our spiritual energy, our spiritual worship. Both extremes are dangerous. Both extremes, I believe, are wrong. What we want to do is avoid the extremes and simply understand and learn what God has to say on the subject. Alexander White wrote this. He said, only God knows what awaits us beyond the curtain of the scene. So what do we know about these beings that we call angels? Do you know what the word means? The word itself simply means messenger. In the, in, in the scriptures, the word angel means messenger. And it seems that their messenger role was always on God's behalf. In other words, they weren't messengers to God. They were messengers from God. Consider Gabriel, who appeared to Mary and Joseph to tell them about the birth of Jesus. That was good news. And of course, there was an angel at the tomb who said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. That was the best news. And according to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, at some appointed future date, folks, the voice of the archangel will be heard heralding the return of Jesus Christ. And that's news of great hope. 
So let's talk for a few minutes about what we do know about Antiochus. Not speculation, but what we do know from what God has shared in his word. Now, I just want you to know that, that, that I'm going to give you information here, the first part. Okay, that, that's really what this is. First part of the sermon is just, just going to be information. So, hang on with me, all right? I, I, I want us to learn, first of all, about them. Here's the first thing. Angels are created beings. I think most of us have a wrong idea about where and how angels come to be. Two men were having a cup of coffee in Starbucks. One said, my mother-in-law is an angel. And the other one said, oh, you are so lucky mine's still alive. <laughs> All right, what you need to remember is that when good people die, they do not become angels. Angels are their own creation. Becoming an angel is not our next step in this process. This is not our next stage in life. And you say, yes, but my parents always said I was their little angel. Well, hang on to those words because that's as close to being an angel as you're ever going to get. <laughs> Angels are a part of a creation of God. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him, by the Lord, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And... They are superior to human beings. The book of Hebrews states clearly that Jesus was superior to the angelic creation because he was not created. Jesus is God in the flesh. But Hebrews goes on to state, now listen to this. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It doesn't mean Jesus was created. It means that when Jesus decided to step away from his heavenly glory to become one of us, he actually became inferior to part of his own creation. When were they created? Well, I, I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. But it does seem, it does seem from what the scriptures teach us that they were created before we were. As a matter of fact, in the book of Job, Job asks God a lot of questions about his suffering and the, and the problems that he went through. And finally, toward the end of the book, God begins to question Job. And, and God says this in Job 38. Where were you when I laid out the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Well, if the angels were shouting for joy at the time of creation, that means they were created before everything that we know and hold dear. Here's something else. Angels are spiritual beings. Now, there, we, we have a confusion in, I think, our minds. Whenever we read spiritual beings, the first thing our minds think of is some kind of wispy, ghost-like thing that you can't see, you can't feel, that just floats and hovers wherever it goes. So angels are these kind of creatures. But that is to misunderstand the concept of spiritual being. In this context... A spiritual being is a being that is created for life in a spiritual realm, a heavenly realm. Let me see if I can describe it to you like this. A fish has a body, an aquatic body. That is, it's designed for life in the water realm. 
We have terrestrial bodies. That is, our bodies are designed for life on the, on the ground. Now, a fish has a visible, tangible body. We have visible, tangible bodies. We cannot exchange places just because we have bodies because we're not equipped to live in the water and a fish is not equipped to live on the land. But we have bodies nonetheless. So when we talk about spiritual bodies, we talk about the angels having these spiritual bodies. Now, they live in a realm that we cannot see. There are plenty of examples in the scripture where God opened the eyes of people so they could see the angels there that were serving God and helping him. But we, in our physical limitations, do not see all the realms of God's creation. And and don't forget this either. One of these days... The Bible says that we're going to trade it. You know, this body will die and decay. But out of that which decays, God will resurrect our bodies. This time immortal. This time incorruptible. And it will not be flesh and blood. But we will have a body. Tangible. Visible. But a body that is designed for life in heaven. When we read about John's vision recorded in Revelation... He talks about thousands upon thousands of angels in heaven and about Isaiah's vision regarding the seraphim who have six wings and they sing, holy, holy, holy. Well, how did these guys know if they could not see them in their vision? Now, there's ways that we're different. Unlike human beings, angels do not reproduce. Evidently, their numbers have remained the same ever since they were created. And unlike us, evidently, apparently, they don't die. And unlike us, they are always represented in the scripture by the masculine gender. Now, I don't know what that suggests, if it suggests anything, other than that we cannot impress upon the angelic creation the prejudice of our human understanding. I doubt that they're they're neither male nor female. They are their own distinct creation. When it comes to heavenly matters, we are extremely limited in our knowledge. And while angels may be unlike us in lots of ways, there's one way we're going to become like the angels, not we're going to become angels. But there's something we'll share when we get to heaven. And Jesus answered a question about marriage to a group of people. Uh, And in Matthew 22, this is what he says. You are an heir because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will not, they will be like the angels in heaven. So, while we enjoy this beautiful relationship in this life called marriage, in heaven there will be no marriage as we know it. Angels don't have that. We won't either. And by the way, all angels are not alike. There's something else that we learn from Scripture. Cherubim seem to guard the holiness of God. Seraphim are devoted to worship around the throne. And Michael, the archangel, seems to possess great authority. By the way, the word archangel always appears in the singular, which would suggest that there is only one archangel, that he might be the highest of angelic ranking. And then in the Old Testament, we have the angel, capital A, of the Lord, which sometimes seems to be exchanged synonymously with the Lord himself. So when we read about the angel of the Lord, it might be some kind of a pre-incarnate theophany where God takes on some kind of a form to communicate with us his creation. And then angels serve at God's direction and command. Uh, They take great interest in the work of God, regardless of what that is. Uh, They are fascinated with the whole plan of salvation. When Peter writes to the church, speaking of the Old Testament prophets, this is what we learn. It was revealed to them, that is the Old Testament prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you 
When they spoke of these things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now notice this. Even angels long to look into these things. In other words, there is a rapt curiosity that the angels have about what God is busy doing in our lives. So they're interested in the whole idea of God's grace extended to us through his son, Jesus Christ. I have this image that angels were ready at a moment's notice, therefore, to help Jesus whenever he needed it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, I could have called 12 legions of angels. You know how many that is? 72,000. Jesus said, if I wanted to, I could have called 72,000 angels and they would have been here to help me. But he didn't. He stayed the course, going to the cross, and then the empty tomb the following week. And the Bible says that they rejoice when somebody is saved. I love the way that Luke records these parables that Jesus winds up in Luke chapter 15, it says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In the same way, I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When we applaud as somebody's baptized over here, it sounds pretty exciting in here. Can you imagine what it must be like when the cheers and the applause of heaven erupt when somebody accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior? Wow, the angels get excited about what happens in the life of the church. And because they are interested in God's plan of salvation, they may have specific roles to help or encourage us. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? And that's us. And Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so... Some people have entertained angels without knowing it. I wonder, I wonder, have you ever met an angel and, and you had no idea that you were meeting an angel? You see, I think that's what was in the back of Brad's mind after that whole experience unfolded. Might be a pretty good explanation. I'm just saying, we don't know what all God is up to in his angelic kingdom. Who knows how they may be working behind the scenes? Now, here's the bad news. You ready? Okay. Nowhere does the Bible suggest that we have a personal guardian angel. It's a nice thought, but there's not a shred of biblical evidence to suggest everybody has a guardian angel. There is a beautiful picture, though, in Luke chapter 16, when a man by the name of Lazarus dies. He was a beggar man, and the Bible says that when he died, angels escorted him to heaven. I don't know, that may just be a picture. But it's a sweet picture. It's a beautiful picture. It's a hopeful picture. It's a comforting picture. That maybe the last role that a messenger does is to take us home to meet the Father. Matthew 25 verse 31 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glories and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Wow, folks, won't that be a day when all of angels' creation comes with the return of Christ? Okay, now I told you at the beginning that this part of the sermon was going to be information. I've, I've dished out a whole lot of information to you. And a sermon that is pure information is not a good sermon. Unless there is some way that I can learn how to better my life, that if there is some kind of application to it, then, then we're there where we need to be. So, 
what I want to do is just take a few minutes as we wind up here and give you some application. What do we learn from all this information of the angels that will make us better people? Here, here are some things to take home with you. Number one, when God gives you an important job to do, do it to the best of your ability. Angels serve. They speak on God's behalf. They were always at the right place at the right time. And in the Bible, they shared life-changing messages, rescued those who were struggling, led the way to freedom, and even helped save lives. Now, we're not angels, but we are messengers. We can do many of the same things, even though limited by the natural world. We, too, can serve God here. We, too, can speak on God's behalf. We, too, can reach out to people who are struggling and encourage them, clothe them, feed them, help them gain a fresh start in life. We can share the life-changing message of Christ, which will lead people to freedom and ultimately save their souls. We can do the same thing that angels do, though limited by the natural world. And we ought to do it. So when God gives us a job to do, let us do it to the best of our ability. There's something else. It's not about me. Angels were never self-focused. I, I, whenever you read about an angel, it's not about what the angel says. The angel is never hurt. The angel is never, well, you know, put upon. Angels were only concerned about doing what God wanted them to do. Their greatest strength is their humility. When we become self-absorbed, it blurs our purpose and our reason for existence. We would do well to find our strength in that same godly virtue of humility. Andrew Murray once said, the truth is this, pride must die in you or nothing of heaven can live in you. Here, here's something else. Never lose your wonder. I think the angels just continue to express this sense of wonder at the majesty of God and everything that God has done. I, I think probably they have a better sense of wonder than we do. I think we let things become old and, well, we take things for granted. It becomes ho-hum to us. It never does for the angels. They never lose their sense of wonder at the majesty of God. Don't, don't let that happen to you. When you see and grasp an image of God, don't ever let it cloud your wow factor. Do you know what science has recently discovered about butterfly wings? Butterfly wings. Wings are covered with tiny shingle-like scales that have an orderly arrangement of micro grooves and bumps that are invisible to the naked eye. But these grooves and bumps reduce in-flight drag and stop rainwater from soaking into the wings of the butterfly. The bumps trap air underneath, which keeps it from soaking in and makes the water roll off as if it had not even dropped onto the butterfly at all, causing it to fly effortlessly no matter what the weather. Butterflies, they are a marvel of God's engineering. These tiny little things that live for just a few days, some of them. God has equipped them with the most. I never cease to stop wondering at the amazement of God's creation around us. Don't lose your sense of wonder at the majesty of God. Here's the last thing. Make your life an act of daily worship. The danger in studying angels too much is that we can become overly fascinated with this part of God's creation and then they become our object of worship. I'm here to tell you no angel would ever want that to happen. But I'm also telling you this too, that every day the angels worship the king. We have this beautiful picture in the book of Revelation as John writes this in chapter 5. 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. I cannot begin to imagine what that is like to stand in heaven and to see all of the angels of all of creation praising God. This I do know. I will not worship him there if I do not worship him here. There's a lot to learn from the angels. Satan attempts us to abandon God in this life. The angels are cheering on the sidelines of eternity that we stay the course and follow God. The choice is ours. The message they've delivered faithfully. Will you embrace it now so that the angels in heaven will rejoice? Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.